0: Um, So it tells us, and I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard, it says, therefore sin is not to reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead, and your body's parts as instruments of righteousness for God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. And I'll read verse 15. What then are we to sin because we are under the law? We are not under the law but under grace far from it. Do you not know that the one to whom you present yourselves as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of that same one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding of this passage. Lord, we thank you for this incredible book and and how it has really peeled back for us layer upon layer of, what it means to be saved by you, what it means to walk in righteousness, what it means to be a righteous person, and what it means to be under grace and not under the law. And so, Lord, we ask that you would continue to help us to understand uh, this passage by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. A little bit of backing up this morning. Uh, or just to kind of get some context on this i did uh, actually what i did this morning and and i want to recommend this and now i'm not going to ask for a show of hands and i don't want any of you to make a commitment to do this but can i make a suggestion i would read so i would suggest that you read this portion i well start in chapter 1 verse 1 and read all the way through the book of Romans to where we are, and do it in one sitting. It's only going to take you, at at best, a half hour. At best. I did it this morning, because I just kind of wanted to refresh everything that we've looked at. Now, do I remember everything? Chris says, no, I don't. Chris knows me. (laughs) I can't even remember my middle name half the time. But, no, I don't remember everything. All right? But... If I keep doing that, I'm going to learn this book much better. Now, some people are very big on scripture memory, and if you are, God bless you. Okay, I, I have to work with something to really memorize it. And 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 the flat. You ever do the flashcards? No one did the flashcard. No one wants to raise their hand. You did the flashcards. Okay, um, I never did the flashcards. Um, It didn't work for me. It's just I'm not wired that way. But if I read something and I read something and I read something, I memorize it. Now, I used to be an air traffic controller. I had to memorize all kinds of navigational aids, waypoints, radials, frequencies. The amount of information I had to memorize was, was pretty overwhelming. But I took it a piece at a time. And so let me encourage you as we are going through this book, continue to read it. Continue to go back to verse 1, chapter 1, and read all the way through. And and it it comes across a little bit differently when you read it through in one sitting. You start to see different things. Now, did I take notes, and do I remember any of those things that I read this morning? No, I don't. But I'm sure some things will pop up. I'm sure some things will come up. And see, that's how I really can learn and memorize Scripture by just reading it over and over again rather than to get out the three-by-five. Now, some people are really good on the three-by-five, and it works for them, and I'm not making fun of that. Really, I'm not, okay? <laughs> it just doesn't work for me. I've got to have it in front of me over and over and over again. And to me, that is how I, your mileage may vary, but that is how I hide his word in my heart that i might not sin against him okay so as i've looked through this and i i took some notes actually uh, on chapter six and 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 it's this the con the context that that paul is bringing up here as we read verses 12 i'm just going to look at bas- basically verse 12 through 14 this morning i went into a verse 16 just for extra credit but but the themes that are being built here first uh, is that in, in verse 2 we died to sin okay we died to sin so sin no longer has a hold of us because we died to sin and and then in verse 5 Paul tells us that we were joined with Christ in the likeness of his death okay so not only did we die to sin, but we are joined with Christ in the likeness of his death. So there's this sense of unity. There's this sense of, ec- of, of communion. Um, there's this sense of, of, of being uh, in, in a sense of solidarity with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been joined together with him in the likeness of his death. And, and our old self was, verse six, our old self was crucified with him and the body of sin no longer dominates us. Our old self was crucified with him, the body of sin. I believe it's talking about our physical body, but it can also talk about our, 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 um, more of our um, carnal nature. I think there's a dual meaning there, but we are no longer being dominated by our bodily appetites because we've, been, we've died to that in Christ. Now this theme of domination, this theme of reigning is going to start to pop its head more and more in this particular passage here in, in, in Romans 6. But in verse 7 it tells us too, those who have died are freed from the claims of sin. Those who have died are now freed from the claims of sin. And if we died with Christ, verse 9, we are going to be raised with him. And because we will be raised with Christ when we die, we will experience the resurrection. Death no longer has a mastery or dominion or reign over us. Because it no longer has a mastery over him, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 9. So in verse 11, it tells us we are dead to sin. We are alive to God in Christ. I will try to, I'll try to put this out for an outline for you. I think this is simpler than, but it's, it's been really difficult going through. The, this, is, this is some of the heavier passages in the entire Bible with the way that Paul is expressing this. And so maybe put this out for you on an outline might be a, of some help. But, but then we run into verse 12. Therefore, Sin is not to reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust or passions or desires. Now, whenever you see the word therefore, you ask the question, why is it therefore, of course? And I just gave you the reasons as I gave you that quick little outline of verses 2, 5, 6, 7, 9, and 11. And so because of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us, this word therefore in verse 12 is also a literary device known as the pivot. You know what a pivot is? Don't think of those things out there watering the fields, although that is also called a pivot. You're in one direction or you've been discussing one area. Now there's a shift. There's a shift in focus. In other words, what is going on here in the book of Romans, you don't want don't to miss this, is that the, from all the way up into verse 611 that the text has been telling us of who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us. Remember where I said the change of status? I've talked a lot about that both on Sundays and on Wednesday nights. We've had a shift from being unrighteous to now being righteous. So the therefore is implying the question, implying the question, all right? What are we to do about it? So the shift here in Romans is a shift from that which God has done and that which who and what we are in Christ Jesus being justified by grace through faith. Now it is the calling, and we'll see this here in six chapter. rest of chapter six, we will see this in chapter seven. We will definitely see this in chapter eight is the calling of sanctification. The calling of sanctification. Wh- how are we going to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has changed our legal status, if you want to use that term. But he has changed our status from an unrighteous person to now we are a righteous person. So we, we begin to start to uncover this idea of being sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's here at this point where where that the topic or the the conversation of spiritual formation begins to kick in. Because what Paul is telling us because we are dead to sin. And Yes, he's using these things as allegories and and using them in, in a metaphorical sense, but I think there is a strong spiritual reality to them. We are dead to sin. So if we are dead to sin, then don't let sin reign. So there's that word of reigning, overseeing again. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its lust. That's the first place of admonition that we are called not to do so that we are able to be people who are sanctified. Now, who does the sanctification? I don't know either. So, uh, no. (laughs) I think I heard some. I think I heard a few comments there. One's water, one's coffee, by the way. Anyway, um, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. However, do we have to cooperate with that work? What does verse 15 tell us? What then, are we to sin because we are under, not under the law? I did it again. Not under the law, but under grace. Far from it. Didn't we just read that last week on Sunday? In verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 6. Why is Paul repeating himself? And think about it. Paper was expensive back then. And it, it, you couldn't, you couldn't carry the Bible around in one of these, right? Or even one of those. Paper was expensive. He says the same thing here again in verse fifteen because he is really trying to drive home the point that just because we have been set free from the power of death and we are no longer slaves to sin, then don't give yourself over to your sinful nature that is still with you that we will talk more about when we look at Romans chapter 7. Do not let sin reign. This word reign is interesting because it refers to a king having a reign or a kingdom or having a dominion. It's from the same Greek word group by which we get the word kingdom. So don't let sin establish a kingdom in your heart. I think I'm stretching that a little bit, all right? But I think I think it's something that we need to consider and to, to apply. Um, death did not have dominion over Jesus. I already referred to that briefly in verse 9. And therefore... Do not let sin have a reign in your heart that you obey your, it says, lust. I believe the New King James, somebody shouted out to me. I don't have it open in front of me. Lust. Thank you. says lust. Other translations say the word passion. I think one of the translations says the word desires. Now, this word is the Greek word epithymia, lust. Uh, it's a, it really refers to desires for things. It usually is referring to a person who is being driven by bodily appetites. Without going, just want to illustrate, I'm not trying to give you a lesson on philosophy, but Plato understood his his belief was that the soul has three parts and one of those parts was the epithemia it was what is called the appetitive part of the soul the appetitive in other words the, the the one with the humongous appetite and 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 those who've studied classical literature refer to this as someone who is whose life is dictated by two things their life is dictated by the, by the table, the dinner table, or I could say the lunch can't. anyway. The table and the bed, essentially, that's, that is what the primary meaning of this word uh, really boils down to, to not, to not be um, allowing sin to reign in our mortal bodies that we obey its lusts. Or don't be driven by an appetitive nature. That's part of what this is talking about here. Yet, the, the thing is, is you can read this and you can say, well, I don't really have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with overindulgence. And I don't have a problem with, with and it, because it, it implies sexuality. That's what it's implying. And you can say, I don't have a problem with that. And I will believe you, um, but the thing is that although that is the primary meaning of this word, it is not the only meaning of this word. In the book of Mark, chapter four, verse nineteen, Jesus is uh, t- he's teaching the kingdom parables. And he talks about those who fall away. Remember the parable of the four soils. I'm not going to take the time to unpack that. But he talked about one who who uh, who is caught up in the cares of the world. Mark four nineteen. That th- those who are caught up in the cares of the world and they are caught up in the deceitfulness of riches and the desires, the epithemia, the desires for other things that enter into a person's heart and it chokes out the word of God. And therefore they become unfruitful. So it's not always just about the table and the bed. When we read here in verse 12, to not let sin reign in your mortal physical body. Because in our mortal physical body, do we have other appetites besides the two that I just named? Yes. Is your mind a part of your physical body? Yes, it is. Now, I had someone try to explain to me the difference between the soul and the mind, and I didn't really think they really, really... quite understood it but the mind is really a part of the body and yes it's integrated with the soul but part of your mind part of your body is your mind what do you think about what do you think about where do your thoughts take you do we think take every thought captive to the obedience of toward Christ or do we think of other things I don't want to even name them because I don't want to put them in your head because you'll probably start thinking about them. That's how we work. Do you have a mind that's submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ or do you have a mind that is allowing sin to reign in it? Since we're talking about your body, what about your eyes? The things that you allow yourself to see or the things that you allow yourself to hear or the places that you use your two feet to allow yourself to go or even the things that come out of your mouth and so I think there's much more to this than just this idea of, of the table and the bed because the reality is, and I, I almost spent I almost camped out on this 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 morning and but I decided to to kind of open up and, and go a little bit further into this passage. We all have desires. We all have desires. Do we not? I gotta say this carefully. Thank you. We all have desires, and where do they come from? Let's go with the table. I'm going to leave the bed alone this morning, okay? But let's go with the table. If you have a desire to eat, is that a bad thing? No. Okay, try to go a couple weeks or whatever and not eat and see what happens to you. Some of you, a couple of, well, never mind. Um, I'm going to get in trouble this morning. I can see it now. But anyway, God gives us desires. But the thing is, is that we turn those desires into little gods, little idols. I'll get away from food, too. I had a real desire to go in the ministry. I must have been out of my mind. But anyway, I had a real desire to go into pastoral ministry and, 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 and it took years for those doors to open up. And I had to bring myself to the place that I no longer wanted to hold the desire to be in the ministry. I no longer wanted to hold that desire before or in front of my desire just to commune with the Lord Jesus Christ and my desire to just be a child of God and my desire to just experience God on a daily basis. Maybe that's why it took almost nine years. That was a long time. But our desires in and of themselves are not sinful. I'm not going to take the time to turn there this morning, but James says that 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 it's it's when we we grab a hold of those lusts and that we dwell in them and we have to have them and then that's that's where it, it yields sin and when sin has produced its full fruit in our lives, what does it produce? Death. Square that with eternal security. I can't. I won't. How's that? Because the Bible doesn't. But this is talking about sanctification. And therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you obey its desires, its lust. And, and do not go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Pr- present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your body's parts as instruments of righteousness for God. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of presenting because it's important. And if, if um, the same word here that we have in, in verse 13, where it talks about do not go on presenting the parts of your body. Th- that word is used again in verse 16, where it's to whom you present yourselves as slaves for obedience. And, and, and so it's an important concept that we want to we look at here just a little bit. Uh, is used in verse 13, used in verse 16, and also in verse 19, which is on the other page of the Bible that I'm using. This word where it talks about presenting yourself, It is in the context of serving another. It's in the context of serving another. uh, It could literally mean to put yourself at someone else's disposal. If you work for somebody and you show up for work tomorrow, You have presented yourself to your boss, your supervisor, whatever the case. Maybe you are the the boss. But you have presented yourself to be available to do whatever the boss wants you to do. Essentially, that's part of the context here. But it's also in Hellenistic Judaism, which is... Greek language, Jewish culture, all right? In Hellenistic Judaism, it is a technical term in the language of offering a sacrifice to God. That's where it's really important here to to understand what he's talking about here. We're going to see this again in Romans chapter 12. But it's given to us in this idea of a technical term of offering a sacrifice. It could also be used in in secular Greek of offering a sacrifice to a piece of stone. Otherwise known as a false god. Okay. It means to offer, to sacrifice. And so when we think offering... Old Testament and New Testament actually, but particularly Old Testament, when we think offering and we think sacrifice, what word should immediately pop into our head? Worship. It's about worship. In other words, what Paul is saying here is don't present yourself as a worshiper of sin I don't think I'm stretching, stretching this too hard, to be honest with you. I think that's the context here. But be, present yourselves as a worshiper to God. As those who are alive from the dead and your body's parts as instruments for righteousness for God. Your body's parts, your mind, your eyes, your speech, your hands, your feet. Presented to God. Again, this goes, we'll see this again, Romans 12. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable form of service. Or you could translate that last word, worship. It's the Greek word, latreia. So Paul is essentially saying Romans 12, 1 right here in Romans 6, 13. Just kind of saying it in a slightly different way. But don't present your, uh, do not go on. Notice it says do not go on, okay? When I say don't go on doing something, what does that mean? It means that you're doing it, Right? Again, what's the context here? Sanctification. Are they already dead to sin? If they're born again of the Spirit, yes, they are already dead to sin. We've already read that earlier in chapter 6. In a sense, what Paul is saying here to the Romans is live like the people that you have been called to be. That's what he's really saying. Live your physical life like your spiritual reality. And as I thought about that, that, that's a tough one. Because I can talk Jesus all day long. I'm good at it. But do I live it? Especially if some of you have been around me in different places and different times. You know, not always. All right? But guess what? Neither do you. So there. But because we're still a work in progress. See, Paul's not slapping you on the wrist here. And i not even feel that way, but he's not. He's saying don't live contrary to your spiritual reality. Now, is a spiritual reality a true reality? You better believe it is. You better believe it is. I think the spiritual world is a whole lot more real than our physical world. We just don't comprehend that yet because we haven't crossed the veil. But that's our true reality. That is also our destiny. That is where we're gonna end up. I think of heaven a lot lately. I I don't know, (laughs) maybe I'm gonna pass, I don't know. I, I think of heaven a lot lately, and I, I, there's so many things about heaven that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sure you didn't expect to hear that this morning. But I know God's got it all worked out. You know, as long as I'm not in the pastor section, I'm going to be cool with it, right? I know God's going to have it all worked out. You guys think I'm kidding. I'm not. <laughs> Trust me. Because that spiritual reality is a whole lot more real than our present physical environment. You bring your body parts as instruments of righteousness for God. Are you going to mess that up? Of course you will. Of course you will. You see, that's where God's grace kicks in. That's where his love kicks in. And if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because we are people who have passed from darkness to light, from death to life, from unrighteousness to righteousness. live like your spiritual reality which means you will need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do so because in verse 14 it says sin shall not be master over you for you are not under the law thank God, I would have ran out of animals a long time ago and so would have you. Talking about sacrifices. But you're under grace. You're under grace. Man, that should be really good news. Because the older you get, the more you have a collection of mistakes. You with me on this? The older you get, the more... (laughs) You know, because the the thing is, the flesh never gets better. (laughs) Does it, does it? It gets worse. Flesh gets worse. It doesn't get better. And so the battle between the flesh and the spirit becomes more intense as we get older. I'm more convinced of that. And, and I've, I've met too many people that basically want to give up and shut up, basically. Sorry if you don't like that term. But I, I, it's, they give up on life. They give up and, and, and they no longer even want to engage. So they just clam up. Especially when we live in a culture that worships youth. And we ascribe to a biblical culture that basically recognizes the dignity of old age. But sin shall not be master over you. It will not have dominion over you. I think one of the translations says. Because we are not under the law. Because the law brings death. Romans 3.20 Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in God's sight. For by the law is knowledge of sin. Romans 5.20 Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. And where sin abounds grace abounds much more. Knowledge of the law brings knowledge of sin, and it also brings responsibility. But we are not under the law. We are under grace. And, of course, the law was just intended to show us of our need for Jesus, right? You understand that. We've always been saved by grace. We will always be saved by grace. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness, right? He believed God before the law was even given and it was accounted unto him as righteousness before the law was even given. He trusted in God. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man or woman should boast. And so we have that to hold on to because we're told not to present our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness but to present our bodies as instruments of righteousness but to recognize again that we are under grace and and this idea of grace is not only the unmerited favor of God I'm going to close with this because I think I've gone too long anyway not only the unmerited favor of god the charis out of the which is the greek word for grace but the charisma the results of grace which we often translate gifts in the bible but the gifts are given to us through whom god the holy spirit And so God the Holy Spirit not only has an unmerited favor toward us that while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us, but God the Holy Spirit also has an unmerited favor toward us whereby he empowers us to live a life that is pleasing to God. Paul understood this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the power of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. And that's the role of the Spirit. So the Spirit the Spirit isn't here to make you weird and make you do weird things. Okay, I, at least I don't believe that. Although I've seen some pretty th- interesting things and different things that I believe the Spirit was all over that I cannot explain. And I'm going to try. But the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you to live according to that grace so that we are able to present our bodies as instruments of righteousness for God. And the thing is, is that when we present our bodies as instruments for righteousness or of righteousness for God, what I have found is that there is no fuller, happier, fulfilled, that's what I meant by fuller, satisfied life. Than we can possibly get live than when we are living in the flow of God's will for us presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto him which is our reasonable form of worship